0: I think this is a very, very difficult time, and although there's tons of opportunity and tons of ways to thrive and pivot and all the good things that we're hearing, we have to think about community and I go back to that protection. This has given us a good
1: opportunity to really look at ourselves in the mirror and really just put things into perspective. There is infinite levels of discrimination and anti-Black racism. The critical piece is access, right?
2: it's as simple as an intro. It's as simple as extra time and effort with the people who need your support.
3: Welcome to Joyful Sundays, a podcast delivering weekly insights, inspiration, and tools to live a more conscious, connected, and intentionally meaningful life. Join us as we go into the minds of some of the world's most inspiring leaders to discover the keys to unlocking your best self in the midst of a global pandemic there has never been a more important time to reflect on how we want to emerge what we value who we are at our cores and how we want to reflect those north star values in the lives we build post a global crisis i'm your host jody kovitz Today, on Joyful Sundays, I am so honored to have three awesome women on the show. First is Amoy Henry. She's the co-founder of Pitch Better, a startup that trains entrepreneurs to build and scale sustainable small businesses. Amoy is also the co-founder and executive producer of the Afro Chic Cultural Arts Festival. She's an awesome woman, moving the dial, and I'm so excited to have her on our show today. Next is my good friend, Claudette McGowan. Claudette is the global executive officer, protect fusion and cyber experience at TD. Claudette has many endeavors that contribute to the community. In her 20 plus year career, Claudette has been named one of Toronto's top 50 most influential people by Toronto Life. She's also been nominated a top 100 most powerful woman in Canada by Women's Executive Network, and has been named an Adweek Toronto Brand Star. Beyond her professional accomplishments, Claudette is someone who from the very first moment I met her has championed me and believed in me. She really represents the ethos of going out of your way, even making the time to be on my show with me today. Claudette, delighted to have you with us. Last but not least, Danielle Graham is also with us today. Danielle is the founder and investment principal of Sandpiper VC, a firm focused on unlocking capital and innovation through greater diversity of investors and strong connections in global markets. Danielle has been beside me coaching and supporting Move the Dial's work on investing in founders since day one of Move the Dial being born. She is an incredibly generous human, always contributing to the ecosystem, and I'm delighted to have her with us today. Welcome to Joyful Sundays. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joyful Sundays. I'm so excited to have the three of you with me today. To start off, I'd love to hear how each of you are doing during these challenging and unprecedented times. Claudette, let's start with you. How are you doing?
0: Hey, Jody, I'm doing pretty good, actually. Thanks for asking. This is an interesting time to be alive, but more than anything, I'm feeling grateful for all the things that we're witnessing happen in our lifetime. It's a time of change and transformation. That's
3: so profound. It is such a huge time of change and transformation. Amoy, I'd love to hear, how are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Jody, and thank you so much for asking. I'm actually doing quite well. I'm in a space of inspiration, I think. The events have led to a lot of change and a lot of envisioning of a future that we can all benefit from and be proud to be a part of. So I'm inspired. I love that.
3: And Danielle, how are you doing? My extremely optimistic friend. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Tell us how you're doing.
2: Thank you, Jody. Well, I'm doing well. Any time I'm around Claudette and Amoy is a good time. And I just wish we could all be in person. So that's the big thing. I'm an extreme extrovert, so I always want to be around people. But I'm lucky that I have the network from the time before COVID to reach out and connect with so many people. So for me, it's been a big focus to help the founders who don't have that access. So it's been a time of building and challenging myself and still driving forward with the same mission, which is to support founders as much as possible. So it's been good, but it's also had those nuances that we've seen throughout these past few months.
3: Thank you for sharing that. And I couldn't agree with you more. It's sort of this dichotomy of incredible opportunity and really difficult time for so many people around the world. I'd love to now ask you each to tell me a little bit about what you're presently focused on. Each of you are hugely engaged in the community as well as building big things. So why don't we start with Danielle and Danielle, tell us a little bit about your new fund that you're working on and what you're focused on.
2: I've been very focused on Sandpiper throughout the post-COVID period, as I'm calling it, although we're far from a post-COVID period. And I've been building out a network of women angel investors who are dedicated to supporting women founders. And so it's been an incredible initiative that's born out of a group out in the Atlantic provinces, the Atlantic Women's Venture Fund. And when COVID hit, we doubled down our efforts to keep building because we knew how important this would be to support and invest in women entrepreneurs. I also have to say that Amoy and I have been working together previously And I think our relationship really blossomed over the time of COVID because we were able to work together. We knew each other and I've been trying to support her in every way that I can. And I'm really impressed with the leadership that she's taken to say what she has to say and write what she has to write and build the programs that are so important for particularly black women entrepreneurs at this time.
3: I love that. And it's a perfect segue into hearing about you, Amori, and what you're up to. And tell us about your incredible program to start, what you've been building, and the impact you've been having on the ecosystem has been profound. So can't wait to hear about it.
1: Thank you so much, Jodi. And again, thank you for this platform. Danielle, I echo your sentiments. It's been such a pleasure. Working and building with you. So currently I'm focused on deal flow strategy and positioning startup founders as experts and leaders in their field, but more so introducing them to investors and LPs and potential people that can get behind the work that they're doing either through capital or mentorship. I work with the City of Toronto in the capacity of consultant as well as a coach on Thursdays where we support small business founders through mentorship and coaching sessions. And I am building an engaged network with strategic partnerships in media, in VC firms, investment companies, and also Doing a lot of writing and speaking to the need for disaggregated race-based data. Data is so critical to the work that we'll need to do moving forward to really augment and amplify the narratives and stories of underrepresented founders. So that's pretty much what I do now that I'm on break from my MBA candidacy with Ivy Business School. You are doing a lot of things. (laughs) It's quite inspiring. I have no idea how you do all
3: the things and such important work. And I'm excited to dive a bit more shortly into the work itself. But first, Claudette. Would love to hear about your recent transition into your new role. Many of the listeners will know you from sitting on stage interviewing the incredible former first lady. Tell us a bit about what you are doing work-wise and also would love to then transition into the incredible new community project that you're leading.
0: I think about our lives in general as a book. And if I think about the first early chapters of my life, it was about helping people. And so I thought my mission in this world was to help people and enrich lives. And now it's evolved, or I, I would say it's still about helping, but it's also about protecting. So this new chapter has me at TD Bank leading the cybersecurity area with some phenomenal senior leaders that I work with. And really, as you think about how the world has become more hyper-connected, more digital, we have to ensure that As we're learning to be more digitally proficient, we also understand the rules of the road online, and that's cybersecurity. Making sure that you're protecting your window to the world, your mobile phone, making sure that you're thinking through all the links you click on, making sure that you've really, really thought through who you're connecting with, where, when, why, how. And so I'm really enjoying that protect function. And it goes to not only online, but offline in that I'm thinking about how we protect our communities as well. And a lot of that happens through education and awareness. And so it's just a wonderful journey to be on. And I'm enjoying this chapter with an eye to future chapters as well over time.
3: It's certainly one of the things that we share a passion for is really, so to speak, moving the dial in society and going out of our way to do anything we can to help advance The interests of society at large. I'd love to move in now to a deeper conversation around what has happened over the last four to five months. So, first, we sort of had COVID that hit our paths and caused all of us to move home and really change our lives. To start, let's spend a few minutes talking about the impact of moving into a remote working environment on each of you in your lives with multiple roles, certainly Claudette, I know being mum and being new leader, can you talk a little bit about that and any of the specific
0: challenges you faced and how you moved through them? I go back to a whiteboard that was in my office that had me on a plane every month, January, February, March, April, I was just going to be everywhere all the time. And I've yet to step foot on a plane. (laughs) We haven't gone anywhere. Nothing is going according to plan. And yet we're standing. We're surviving. And so working at home, being with my family, being able to have that quiet time, that time for reflection, it's been very, very powerful. But at the same time, looking at the world and seeing people struggling, getting those phone calls, looking at people tweeting things that are questionable, that make you want to reach out and say... Can I lend a hand? I think this is a very, very difficult time. And although there's tons of opportunity and tons of ways to thrive and pivot and all the good things that we're hearing, we have to think about community and I go back to that protection. I believe that, you know, history repeats itself. And I think the
1: time that we're in now is reminiscent of the start of the civil rights movement, but even more so time and time, it's just a reiteration of the idea that Sometimes it takes death for Black lives to matter, and that shouldn't be the case. We live in a society, I think, where for Canadians, we often feel like we were like not dealing with anti-Black racism, and we weren't experiencing these things because they did not confront us in the way that it happens in the States or other parts of the world. However, I think this has given us a good opportunity to really look at ourselves in the mirror and really just put Things into perspective. There is infinite levels of discrimination and anti Black racism in covert and overt ways, and it manifests itself in corporate Canada, in the investment space, in the small business space, as well as people who are just living their everyday lives and having difficulty navigating because of implicit bias and different things of that nature. So this. Time period has, in a sense, just reignited the passion that I've had when I started Afro Chic 10 years ago. Um, I wanted to create a safe space for women of color, black women to celebrate themselves and also have the platforms to talk about careers, starting businesses, evolving, building their families, creating unique, engaged networks amongst each other. And so, this has sparked something where I think we're looking at structural challenges in society. And a lot of that comes from the lack of acknowledging that there are differences. And this idea of us just being diverse people or racialized people, but not necessarily identifying and naming us as Black people and our experiences are nuanced as a result of our race. And so we shouldn't necessarily be characterized as diverse or racialized. We should actually be named as Black because when you say to somebody that you don't see color, then you say you don't see their Blackness and the nuances and the characteristics of life that may happen for them that may not necessarily happen for others. So I look at You know, organizations now like Black North and the Black Opportunity Fund that are vocally speaking up about corporate Canada's dismissal of Black opportunity, to be honest. And we see examples like Claudette McGowan. And Wes Hall and Dennis Mitchell, of people who have risen above and they've been able to climb and really lean back and support the community in meaningful and tangible ways. But they shouldn't just be the only ones. They shouldn't just be the token, excellent Black leaders because that's a lot on them, you know? And so we need now this time to really look in and see number one, the data the resources that need to go behind up and coming black leaders and just the shift in decision makers and society overall to be able to make room for a new day, right? A new society.
3: I profoundly thank you for your willingness to share so authentically. It's very moving for me and I'm sure many of my listeners to hear you speak from your heart in that way. So I thank you so much. Claudette, you are a tremendous role model to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people of all backgrounds. I also know that you have undertaken many initiatives for many years, including the incredible Black Arts and Innovation Expo that you built to create that sort of brave space to amplify and shine a light on the incredible work of Black members of our society and most recently, you've joined as chair to lead the Coalition of Innovation Leaders Against Racism in Canada. I would love to invite you to share your perspective. I know that so many of us are hungry for the way forward, and your words are always so inspiring. There's just
0: so much <laughs> in what you asked, and this is not minute rice. We can't add water and stir. It's a massive, complex, multidimensional dimensional challenge that we have against us and it's because things were set up in a way many many moons ago and i think about companies that i've worked with and policies and practices and procedures that are in place and they don't change until somebody challenges them and asks that question the three-year-old asks why why is it the way it is how could we make it better who's going to take the lead i reflect on canada and look to who are the leaders Who are people looking to lead the charge? And it's not enough to say it's one or two or three people. This has to be something that everybody wraps their arms around to move forward. And so I love, you know, when I connected with Amoy and I found out that she'd been running her Afro Chic for over a decade (laughs) and understood that there's people from all walks of lives, from every generation, trying to move the needle, trying to move the dial. And so if you ask me some of the things that I think are powerful to move things forward today, it takes everybody putting up their hand to say, I want to be a part of this. And we saw that with Black North with so many companies coming together, whether they signed the pledge or not, they were represented and they want to be a part of it. And so I think that was very powerful when corporate Canada stands up and says, you know what, we are the leaders and we can make the change that we want to see in all of our organizations, so let's move it forward. And then lastly, what's the fastest growing sector right now in this country? It is innovation, it is technology. So to work with people like Young Woo and Armagon and others to move things forward from a coalition, tech leaders coming together saying, you know what? We've spent a lot of time saying we want to make change. We've all put up the obligatory (laughs) post on social media. But then when people looked at our websites and saw that who is leading these companies doesn't reflect who's buying from these companies, everybody was called out. I can think of no one company that you can say, you know what, this company is the model. And what I love about it is that for all that calling out, calling in, whatever we want to call it, people are now saying, let's do something about it. Let's get in the boardrooms. Let's understand the message that we're hearing from the people who are impacted. Because you cannot make change about a community and not have conversation with that community.
3: I think that's really powerful. And I think the work that, Danielle, you've been at for some time, I mean, since the day I met you, you've been most focused on ensuring that founders that have the least access to capital, customers, profile, and network get those opportunities. So I'd love you to tell us a little bit about Your perspective on what's happening at the moment and specifically with respect to helping Black founders, the data, it really speaks for itself when you look at U.S. data that less than 1% of black founders have received any venture funding to fuel the growth of their companies, it's really striking to me. So would love to hand it over to you to tell us a little bit about your perspective and some of what you're doing and what you think we as a community can be doing specifically to fuel the success of black founders. I
2: truly take an action-focused approach to a lot of the work and the things that I do and I say. Just to provide a bit more context on this call, I think Spent my formative years in Namibia and Ethiopia before moving to Canada as an undergrad student and was really shocked by the way that I had kind of propped Canada up as a beacon of multiculturalism and inclusivity. We have so far to go, especially in tech and especially in finance and especially in the innovation ecosystems where there's that complete underrepresentation. And there needs to be concerted efforts. And I'm so proud to be part of some of them. Um, I honestly can't believe how much is actually starting to happen because it's been a fight for a long time where people have just ignored and not paid attention. So to get that momentum and get that attention and get that focus and funding and tactical implementation is so important. And so in particular with Fierce Founders building out the boot camp, I always took a very kind of inclusive approach by doing the outreach, the external pieces, but also the internal work so that when underrepresented founders come into the ecosystem, they're actually welcome and they see themselves there. And so being able to work on programs specific to women entrepreneurs, to refugees, with the Black Innovation Fellowship, with Scale Without Borders, with Venture Outs LGBTQ plus programming, With the Centre for Indigenous Innovation and Technology and an Accessibility Boot Camp, which was the first of its kind across North America. It's hard for me to even believe that these are the first of their kind, that these are the only programs that exist. It's critical to the pathways for entrepreneurs to get access to the resources and networks, the mentorship, and the common elements that all entrepreneurs need. This is not underestimating, this. this is providing them with mechanisms to engage where they feel comfortable and the ways that are appropriate and specific that have not been incorporated into the current ecosystem as I've seen it. So those are some ways that I think we can continue the hard work of the people like Amoy who are working in the space, who know founders that are not engaging in the ecosystem for a multitude of factors. And we need to take a more proactive approach, just like what what I was doing with Solar.
3: Thank you so much for that. I want to dig in a little more. I think one of the things that, Amoy, you said in your article was really powerful that you recently wrote in BetaKit, the horrifying truth about being a Black founder in Canada, where you, you know, I think really bravely talked about Black Canadian women founders having the experience of having your businesses deemed uninvestable due to overt and covert racism and misogyny. And I want to talk about that. I think we need to have that real conversation because certainly in my experience when building Move the Dial founder programming, I found that we had to work really hard with Danielle and others in the ecosystem to actively seek out and invite in Black founders and that it was that experience of having to bridge between the funders and black founders and my own inability to understand your lived experience being a white, highly privileged on many levels human. Would love you to share a little bit more about that because I do think it is through, like Claudette suggested, having these dialogues that we can start to learn and unlearn so that we can actually
1: move the dial forward in this specific way. I also recently did an article with Disruption where I'm talking about VCs, right? So this demonstration of performative allyship that we've all seen the top brands and institutions engage in in over the past six weeks or so, talking about making a statement in support of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery, but yet their leadership not necessarily reflecting the diversity of their intentions, right? So that article is really speaking to the fact that Canada is not exempt from that. And so there has to be a shift economically and financial investment in entrepreneurs that actually do exist. So when we hear comments from VCs and PE leaders who say things like, well, we can't get access to them, we're more inclined to invest in the people that we know that look like us or that we have a reference from. In a sense, that is implicit bias because it results in the lack of funding and. The lack of support. Black women entrepreneurs in the U.S. on average raise $36,000 for their business startups. Meanwhile, white men on average raise a million. The deal flow opportunities are vast for white men because the investors also look like them. The people that are willing to bet on them look like them. And so we know that the $6.9 billion raised in Canada for VC last year approximately, I believe it was 40% of that went to just, if my data is correct, 12 companies. In 2017, 40% of all VC capital went to just 10 companies. Black women entrepreneurs contribute $44 billion into the US economy. That information isn't collected because again, we're just identified as visible minorities. But what would it look like if we were to track this data and actually show that Black women entrepreneurs or Black entrepreneurs overall contribute large amounts of money into the Canadian economy. And maybe once that information is tracked, maybe there will be more of an interest in investing in these entrepreneurs because we contribute to society and our economy in a way that makes Canada more globally competitive, right? And so it is a business case. It is a business issue. So I think Things like, you know, the work that we're doing with the city of Toronto, where we've seen over 250 Black women or BIPOC women entrepreneurs sign up to be a part of our weekly talks. That says that there are entrepreneurs out there. We've engaged entrepreneurs in every single province in Canada for our research study founders and identified Lots and lots of women entrepreneurs, at least 300 so far in the tech and innovation sectors, growth sectors. So, if we've taken the time and we've engaged these entrepreneurs from all the way west in Vancouver, BC, to all the way east in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and if we've taken the time to identify these, why are these investors and these VCs not? And I think it just comes down to laziness, to be quite honest with you. I think. There has to be an interest in actually scoping out and investigating who's out there, who has investable businesses, because you're missing out on the next unicorn when you don't hone in, mentor, and support these businesses by underrepresented founders.
0: Yeah, one of the things we're working on uh, with Clar is try to create some type of innovative platform, something with tools and resources that others can use to get to these founders or to solve some of these problems that are in the pipeline as far as why is it so anti-one particular group or anti-Black, Indigenous and people of colour. I think from an action perspective, some of the things that we can do is, first of all, take a look at our supply chain. Where are we getting all of our products and services? And if you're a leader, to ask yourselves, are we truly casting a wide net when we're looking for suppliers? Because when I asked the founder, How can Celar help you? Just tell me one thing that's really important to you. He came back with revenue. I don't want a check, he says. I don't want a donation. I want a business relationship. Buy my products, buy my services, or let me pitch back to what Amoy was saying. Like, let me have a seat at the table and then tell me you don't want it. But to not let me come in the room and have a seat at the table and then say you can't find me, it's unacceptable. The last thing I would say, as far as what folks can do, is to really do the work internally. To book a meeting with themselves and ask yourself, What have I done? And then when you realize that you may not have done as much as you could, then go back to that question of the three year old and ask yourself, Why?
3: I would love people listening to understand that. Some of the most profound impact can be in helping individual people, because I think what happens is sometimes people look at the topic of, we need to systemically eradicate anti-black racism, and it feels just so big. People don't know where to start, even if they are doing work to become educated, reading books, attending classes. Sometimes I understand through you know, talking to a number of white folks trying to stand in solidarity, for example, who say, I just don't know what to do. And I think hearing you talk about sort of these individual actions that we can take that can be so impactful in terms of the trajectory of another person, but it really does take that consciousness and mindfulness and intentionality in order to do that. The critical piece is access, right? It's
2: as simple as an intro It's as simple as extra time and effort with the people who need your support and so conducting that network effect of access, of intros, of outreach, of action. We could research this to death and the research is important. It's a good current state analysis, but we're not going to move anything unless we actually take the actions to write those intros, to spend that time Whatever stage people are at, help them get to that next stage. And so if you're thinking about it from an action-based approach, then again, take that time, just like Claudette said, book a meeting with yourself. I'm sorry, I'm going to use that. That is amazing. And also see what you can do and constantly think about it. There's going to be a lot of band-aid approaches. People are going to pat themselves on the back very quickly if they do one thing. It's not about that one thing. It's about continuing that work and building on that work and continuing to find ways and question yourself and your community and the things that people are saying around you and read and learn and work and apply.
3: I just feel so inspired by this conversation with these incredible women. There's something so magical about the idea of bringing generous of spirit values aligned humans together to fuel and enable the growth of highly talented founders, just on the basis of our collective belief in them. And that's what I feel like when I'm talking to these incredible women, just how important it is to be so intentional about where we invest our energy and understand the power of many small acts. When I think about the type of success that I've seen some incredible founders achieve it really is not only the vision and passion and hard work and capacity of the founder, but also the collection of many dial-moving moments that happen in and around that founder by the people that believe in what they're trying to achieve. And so listening to Claudette and Danielle and Amoy speak of how important it is in this moment in time for us to collectively go out of our way To open doors to unlock access to capital to customers most importantly underlined underscored as well as to networks of those that can champion and profile and highlight and help our founders be successful it's just such an incredible inspirational energy and i think there's a real opportunity right now for us collectively to take the energy around the Black Lives Matter movement and fuel it into helping our Black founder friends and in the community be as successful as they can be by channeling our collective energy, network, buying power, door opening skills to enable our friends to shine and build. I would love to move us to sharing a little bit with our listeners how each of you are bringing mindfulness and sort of self-care practices to your lives to be able to show up. Each of you give so purely to so many and fill the buckets metaphorically of so many other people so I'd love to ask you each and, and let's start with you Claudette how do you fill your bucket to take care of yourself so that you can then pass on all of this incredible generous energy and spirit to others including me
0: yeah a few things I used to have a massage every Wednesday when you could have people touching you remember the good old yes, days guys once upon a time, I missed <laughs> so that. that that came to a brutal end <laughs> And so one of the things I've been doing is actually hiking and hiking with some other executives in a socially, physically distant way, but getting out with nature and thinking and also having fellowship, right? Because you're doing it with other people. And although you're not side by side, you're doing something together and it's completely out of my comfort zone. But boy, am I enjoying it.
3: I love that. Amoy, what have you been doing that's been filling your
1: bucket? I recently traveled out west to Alberta. I was there for three days. That was everything, just being in the mountains and breathing in the fresh air. On a regular basis, I try to go bike riding every other day. I actually live on a nice bike trail. And so I find myself going bike riding with my friends or sometimes by myself. And that's been really, really helpful. In addition to that, Yoga. So there's lots of mindfulness and yoga online that I partake in and enjoy just stretching and having like mindful time to myself. I love that. Danielle,
3: tell us a little bit about you. How have you been expressing your mindfulness and taking care of yourself during this time?
2: Well, I think as you know by now, I can be a little bit intense. So I find mindfulness and yoga one of the hardest things. So my version is full out running. And so I did a quarantine challenge of 30 days of consecutive running. And it was very, very cathartic. It's really meaningful for me too. I mean, growing up in Ethiopia, there's obviously an incredible running culture. And I had trainers throughout my childhood. And so I always have running to fall back on whenever, you know, there's inconsistency and chaos. And so, you know, being stuck by myself in quarantine It was really lovely to be able to run paths and discover the neighborhood and exert some of that unused energy.
3: I'd love to ask you each to share, how have your North Star values changed as a result of this unprecedented time between the pandemic and living through the really important Black Lives Matter movement. Claudette, anything that you will bring out of this time that you will change about how you were previously living your life?
0: I guess my one reflection is just kind of how fragile it was. I didn't realize um, as a society how fragile we were, that there could be a memo that goes out that says everything has to close down on a certain date, and then you have to stay home. And then a lot of the things that you took for granted are no longer there, like seeing somebody face to face, like outstretching your hand for a shake or a hug, going to the restaurant. Now you have to think about, is it safe for me to do these things? And so the financial, the economic frailty (laughs) of society, how many people after two weeks said, I'm in big trouble now? And I read something this morning that said, we've switched now from a culture of spending to a culture of saving, because for the first time in this generation, we're feeling real pain. And so I think about the fragility of where things were, even race relations. I would have told you a few months ago that I thought we were in a good position. And now to see that when my 16-year-old son says, hey, can I go around the corner? I say no. Nope. I will take you there. I never felt the degree of concern and to some extent fear about how frail we are as a society. So I take this into the next chapter that as much as I'm hopeful and optimistic about the great, I guess I have more of a awareness. That's really
3: powerful and profound and actually like I've I've never thought about it that way before but it's resonating for me so deeply in my body.
2: I'm someone who fights for change so for me it was a really eye-opening example of how capable we are of that change when necessary. So why can't we prioritize these important issues without having to get to the point where it's this bad? And so I hope people kind of come out of this saying we can make these big changes and we just changed our entire habits and our core basic model of behavior and life. So why can't we do everything better? And hopefully that means we can break things down that weren't working and move forward in a lot of more important ways that challenges
1: a lot of the core assumptions that people said could never change and now they have. I certainly think there's obviously a shift in our consciousness as a collective body of people and human beings. I think this unprecedented time has really just reminded us of our privilege, in a sense, in this society. I'm speaking maybe about myself. There's things that I took for granted that I certainly don't anymore. Even just seeing my grandparents and people who may have compromised immune systems and just being so mindful of the situation and the health that I have and the mindfulness, this sound mind, my whole system, I have so much privilege in that. Meanwhile, I look to places like the Caribbean or places that don't have an advanced healthcare system and realize that there's so much out there that other people are dealing with. I even look to this idea of a lot of friends who have lost jobs and who have not had this entrepreneurial streak or quote unquote luck or relationship that I have or that other friends have. And so they're now, you know, struggling to support their families, struggling to find a way to make ends meet and still having to pay bills. I think about already marginalized and disenfranchised groups who before COVID-19 were already at huge disadvantages when it came to social supports and having resources and now are even more marginalized. Small business entrepreneurs who these grants and and services have come into place to bail out businesses. But at the end of the day, it's just the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer. So this has taught me to be loving, to be more gentle, and to understand that my walk isn't always everyone's walk. But at the end of the day, we're all walking each other home. Thank you for that. So powerful.
3: Our Joyful Sundays community have asked us to have you each share a couple rapid fire questions. So First, what's your favorite restaurant? Claudette.
0: <laughs> You're gonna get me in trouble. Okay, I'll say Joya.
1: Danielle. Lolliballet. Amoy. I love me some Sunrise. Jamaican restaurant. <laughs> I'm gonna
3: have to try it. I'm excited to try each of your favorites. What is your favorite movie of all times? Danielle. This is going to be
2: really reflective of my personality, but I like uh, Die Hard.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so surprised. (laughs) Amazing. Claudette.
0: I'll say Glenn Gleary, Glenn Ross. Always be closing.
3: Amoy. I'm a hopeless romantic, so love Jones. Mine is Shawshank Redemption. I've watched it a thousand times. And last but not least, if you have a favorite author or book in particular,
1: Claudette.
0: Langston Hughes, Poetry.
1: Amoy. My favorite book is by a Nigerian author, Chinua Achebe, Things Fall Apart. Danielle.
2: Oh, I love that too, Amoy. I've read that one like four times. I have it in my bookshelf, but my favorite
3: was Sweetness in the Belly by Camilla Gibb. Thank you so much, and thank you to each of you for joining us on Joyful Sundays, and I hope you have a fantastic week.
1: Thank you, Jody. Thanks, Jodi. Thank you so much, Jodi. So listening
3: to this incredible conversation amongst awesome women I call friends, and I feel so privileged to call these women friends, what occurred to me was this opportunity that we have in this moment in time to determine how we each want to show up to stand in solidarity. And a lot of what I've been thinking about, because there's so much work to do, so much unlearning, so much learning, so much listening, and going deeper listening— is what can I personally do to stand in solidarity with in the long term that feels super authentic to what I'm most passionate about also? And that's where I got thinking about how can I meaningfully do my part to dial move with and alongside my Black founder friends? And I think there's just such an interesting and beautiful opportunity As we rally around Black founders who are entrepreneurs with big visions and incredible ideas to solve the world's biggest problems and who do need, in many cases, some support in overcoming systemic racism that has existed and that has overtly and covertly prevented them from being successful in getting into the rooms and to the tables that they need to To be able to access capital, customers, networks, profile in the way that founders need to do in order to successfully scale their businesses. It is the collection, I believe, of our many small steps to meaningfully help our Black founder friends as they move through their journeys to scale their businesses think it's a really beautiful opportunity and moment in time for some really lasting, meaningful change. Thank you for listening to Joyful Sundays, the podcast where I have truly inspiring conversations about how to become your best self. If you like this episode, support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and a comment. I'm your host, Jody Kovitz. See you next time on Joyful Sundays.